Let's get into some word. Are you, are you ready for it? I trust you come hungry and expectant, ready for God to speak to your heart, speak to your life. If you're new with us today, we're so, so glad that you're here and believe that, that, that you're set up for an encounter with God. I mean, you're here. This is, uh, this is not the only place that God's moving, but I tell you, I can guarantee you, He's moving here. And if you'll look to Him right here, right now, He'll work in your life. He'll speak to you and talk to you and work in ways that, uh, you know, some things you'd never even imagined and some things you've hoped for and longed for and wanted it to happen. And it'll happen here today while you're sitting in the, in the service. Bodies will be healed and, and direction will be given to give a new course and direction in life. Some who are living with despair and living with hopelessness, that will change here in our midst. I, I tell you, God is working in, in all through us and all among us here today. People have come and uh, have problems and addictions in their bodies and you can't get set free. You're struggling with different things and you, you may say, well, that's my own fault. Maybe your own fault, but, but uh, what it's not our own fault. Nothing's God's fault. And He's merciful and He's kind and, he, and, and He's always on time and He's here today to change things and make things new and make things right. And you'll walk out a different person, different than you came in. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Say, so why do you say all that? Well, I say it because it's true, because God wants to work and He needs someone to cooperate with Him. And if someone will agree with Him, then He goes into motion. Someone will take His Word, stand on His Word. He, he gives Him an opportunity to do what He wanted to do all along. Say, well, if God wants to do it, certainly He'll just do it. Just up to Him. Not just up to Him. He gives His Word. We either accept it or reject it. He gives us His promise. We either believe it or we doubt it. We believe it or we question it. And if you'll take God at His Word, you'll see Him do exactly what He said He would do. Hallelujah. And He is an abundant life giver. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. Praise God. It's the devil who wants to kill you, wants to steal from you, wants to rip you off, destroy your life, destroy your marriage, take your health. Amen. Take your job, take your finances, mess everything up. That's the devil. It has nothing to do with God. If you'll commit your life fully unto Him, your life will go up better, better, better. Doesn't mean there'll never be a challenge, never be opposition. You will be opposed, but you'll always come out on top if you stay with it. If you stay with Him and stick with His plan, stick with His Word, you'll always come out on top. Amen? Hallelujah. I haven't even gotten to my verse yet. I'm just already having fun. <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it's good to give the Lord place in our lives, though. First uh, Corinthians. Did I tell you there? First Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Notice with me the 13th verse. We started a new message last week, and, uh, and, and so I'm going to pick up where, right where we left off. Let's first of all read this verse, though. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now abides faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Everybody say it out loud. The greatest is love. If this is the greatest, then how many think we should major on it? It should be kind of high on our priority list as well. If any Bible subject we're going to be well-versed in, well-knowledgeable of, it should be. If there was just one, I would say let's go ahead and go with the love of God because we can read scriptures like this that say it is the greatest. It is the central component to the Christian life. It will make or break you. Your, your participation in the love of God or your, uh, your lack of cooperation with his love, it will make or break you. It's the very reason that God sent his only son. Remember God so loved the world, John three sixteen said, 
And so the reason we're saved is it, it all started with God loving us. It makes whatever we do valuable. Anything done outside of and without the love of God as the motivator, as the central component, ultimately is useless. It is worthless. It counts for nothing. And, and maybe some of the reason for that is because the Bible says that God is love. And if you don't know love, you don't know God. So we should, uh, we should give a lot of attention to knowing the love of God and really knowing love himself. Uh, the scriptures tell us that faith working through love is what makes things work. It's what avails. It, it is what uh, ha has benefit to it. Praise God. Now, now turn over with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. And, and notice this verse as well. Sometimes if something is a major subject, I like to give more than one verse that, that validates my strong emphasis in, in talking about it. 1 Peter chapter 4, notice with me verse 7. Verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Should we be goofing around in the last days? No, closer you get to the end, the more serious you ought to be. Now, you can be serious and laugh. You can be serious and enjoy life. You can be serious and have a lot of fun serving God, no doubt. Nevertheless, we, take it, we should take it very, very seriously. Amen. Uh, the things of God. I, I, I read a quote recently um, from, and I thought, I thought I should say that. didn't think I would or I would have writ, wrote it, written it down. Uh, a, a quote from the founder of, of the Salvation Army. Was that Booth? Is, anybody know? William Booth, yeah, founder of the Salvation Army. He, he said something to the effect, I can't get it exactly right, having not written it down. He said, uh, we, we typically, meaning we like Christians and even church leaders and so forth, we want to take people with the call of God and we find high value in sending them, he said, off to school for five years. He said, what I'd rather do is take people who want to serve God and send them to hell for five minutes. He said, I think, <laughs> this is a strong word, huh? He said, he, said, I, he said, I think that would do more to motivate them to win the, win the lost. <laughs> Just a thought. I mean, I didn't say that. Don't, I, I'm just quoting here. <laughs> it, it stuck with me. I thought, oh, yeah. Mm, wow. Powerful. And, and, and so he said, be watchful in your prayers. Verse 8, and above all things... Have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. All right? Notice the language, and above all things. That, that's quite a statement right there. When you see above all things, above everything, this is the most important. And he said, have fervent love for one another. Uh, that's pretty important to me. I, I think, uh, you know, he didn't say here um, that love is the only thing. But he did say, it is the most important thing. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, over in Colossians, there's a similar verse, Colossians 3.14. But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Above what? Above everything else he was talking about there. Put on love. So we see, not only did Paul say it, not only did Peter say it, Paul said it multiple times, but this is a very important subject, very important issue, and if we don't get this right, but we're experts in everything else, we could end up in heaven with no reward. 
<laughs> we could, could end up uh, profiting nothing and really living useless lives. Look over with me at, at Philippians as well. Philippians chapter 1. Can you find Philippians? If I go faster than you can get there, then uh, that just means I'm faster than you. Uh, and I knew where I was going. Uh, in Philippians chapter 1, but you can write these things down and, and, and get them if you can't keep up. But Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, uh, it, it says here, Paul writing to the Philippians, that church, he said, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so many of us celebrate that verse, and we think, hey, yeah, we're all a work in process, work in progress, and, and thank God the Lord has not given up on us. He's going to complete the work. He's going to finish what he started, and that's good news for us. We're going to keep progressing, keep making progress, keep uh, maturing and growing. But then he goes down, if you read just a couple verses later, verse 9, it says, and, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. What is the completion of us? What is the perfection of our lives? It is absolutely tied to growing in and increasing in the love of God. When the love of God abounds in us, that's where maturity is. When the love of God increases, this is spiritual growth. Sometimes we think spiritual growth, that means I just, I memorize a lot of verses, I've got a lot of scriptures, got a lot of, you know, other doctrines down, and I know what's up and what's down, and well, it's very much tied to, if I'm going to grow at all in God, I must grow in the love of God. I must abound in love. Why? That's going to pr produce. That's going to produce knowledge and all discernment. I mean, how many people would value being able to discern right from wrong? I mean, that's a pretty high thing in life. I, I want that. How many want to be able to make accurate and precise judgments of everything in their life, of everything that happens? We want to get it right. We want to be accurate and precise. Well, did you see that it's tied to and connected to the love of God? See, the way I'm going to have proper discernment, the way I'm going to make right judgments in life, is being uh, motivated and moved by love. You can see how that's the case. If I am motivated and moved by self-interest, by what's best for me, by how I can win and, over somebody else, then my judgment is going to be off. My discernment is going to be off. I'm going to call people down on something, guilty, some, call something wrong when what they do hinders my progress or my success. And that's not motivated by love. Amen. See, this is why we can be glad that God is the ultimate judge. He's the one who sits on the throne because his name is love. That gives me comfort. I don't know about you. Love gets it right. And we're all making judgments every day in many areas and many things. I'm not talking about judging one another in a, in a negative sense. We're making judgments. We're discerning. We're, we're, we're calling things right or wrong. But we're going to get it wrong half the time or most of the time if we're not motivated by love. If it's just seeking to prop up ourselves. Everybody okay today? And you guys were getting happy earlier when I was talking about life, and now all of a sudden, 
I'm just saying you're going to get it wrong if, you're, if love doesn't abound in your heart. I'm just saying we're going to stay in the, in the spiritual nursery if we don't grow in love. And we think, so, so I'm, I've been a believer for X number of years. I, I'm, I'm grown up in the faith, or I've been serving the Lord all my life. How's your love life? Because that is a direct reflection of your spiritual maturity. We must abound in love. Amen. Now, now what I've seen, uh, and I've seen this in, over the years, but I've seen it even more just because I've been preparing to, to share these, these truths with you. I've seen more and more how love, the love of God in us is connected to everything. Uh, there, there's, it, it can be so easy for us to not get excited about something like this or a subject like this and think, well, let's get on to something that's more relevant to my day-to-day life or, or uh, you know, something that benefits me in a greater way. And, but the more I learn, the more I study, I see love is intermingled with all that God does. And it affects every part of our lives. And many times we're seeking to acquire and obtain something that is right and good and it's godly and there's nothing wrong with it. But we're doing so without the proper love place in our hearts and it's hindering us from obtaining. All right. I want to give you a couple examples of that here today. Uh, First one is over in Mark chapter 11. Uh, And and if you could look at some of these with me, it'll help you. to let it settle in your hearts. The Bible says, give attention to his words, incline your ear into his sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart for their life unto those who find them health to all their flesh. All right, so we want to give attention to his words here today. And, 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 and one of the uh, most popular verses, at least in my world, is, is, is Mark chapter 11 and verse 23 and 24, where Jesus talked about speaking to the mountain. He talked about having faith in God. And, and, and it's a, just a powerful passage. And, and I want, I want to notice, want you to notice with me verse 24, Mark 11, 24, Jesus speaking here, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And, uh, and so often we stop right there and we think, yep, that's the prayer of faith. And that absolutely is the prayer of faith. That'll show you how to get it before you see it. <laughs> That'll show you how to have prayers answered every single time by believing you have it before you ever see it in, before you ever see it with your physical eyes, right? But it's but, but it, very easy for us to just stop there and, and not get the full context of what Jesus is talking about and how he tied other principles into this. Because verse 25 goes on to read, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. And I think that's very interesting uh, that Jesus connected forgiveness, which would be a manifestation of love, uh, not human love. Human love says, I'm going to, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget it, right? Human, natural, fleshly love says, I'll never forget what that rascal did to me. <laughs> you know, I'm not, uh, they, they keep people at arm's length for the rest of their lives when, when they supposedly forgive. So the true love of God doesn't do that. But Jesus connected uh, forgiveness, which is the love of God, with your prayers being answered. Amen. With believing that you, really you could say with speaking to the mountain, with praying and asking the Father for things. He directly connected it to your relationship with other people. And I find, that, I find that very interesting that, that he would do that, that he would bring that subject up when talking about prayer. Basically, with unforgiveness in the heart, faith in God is, is uh, hindered. 
If I have something against you, and then I think I have a wonderful relationship with God, I'm mistaken. If I'm ticked off at people half the day, and then I just say, oh, I just love the Lord. He's so good to me. I just worship God. I'm mistaken. Everybody okay today? And I know we like to separate that, especially if we're ticked off at other people. <laughs> uh, especially if we have unforgiveness in our heart. We want to set that aside and just have a great relationship with God. But Jesus tied it together. In fact, over and over in Scripture, we can see, and I'm going to, if I have time, I'm going to show you three places so you'll know this is not just some random thought. This is not something I made up. This is, this is a direct hindrance to people's spiritual lives. And that is their absence of walking in love and forgiveness with others. And if we don't see that, we'll wonder, why isn't this working? How come this isn't? Uh, the, you know, what all it's cracked up to be. This, my life is not uh, revealing or showing forth life according to the promises. And that's because with unforgiveness in the heart, faith in God is hindered. Uh, someone said, I'm a faith man or faith woman. Well, not unless you're also a forgiveness man. Or woman. You're not one without the other. There is, no great, there is no great relationship with God when there is bitterness towards other people. I, I'm, re, I'm remembering uh, over, uh, without us going there and looking, but the Bible tells us over in James chapter 4, remember he was, he was telling, James was a pastor, church at Jerusalem, he said, what's with all you guys fighting amongst yourselves? You're fighting and stepping on each other, and I want this and I want that. He said, you, you desire to obtain, and you, you, don't, and you never get what you want. And you remember what he said there. He said, you have not because you ask not, and you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. You ask wrong, what? Consuming it upon your own lusts. What he's what, what's he tell, telling us there? He said, you're praying without love. You're praying with only yourself in mind. And therefore, the things that you want, you're not getting. You're praying out of a selfish motive, out of a selfish heart. And that's not to say that you can't pray for things that you want. But apparently, you can pray for things that you want with a selfish motive, with a wrong heart. And it excludes every, what, everybody else and what, 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 they, what they need, what they want. There is a right way to pray it, to pray, to seek God, to have faith in Him. And it always involves uh, the love of God being right in the middle of it. That's our motive. That's what makes everything else work. Amen. Can I show you something else? Uh, look over at uh, Matthew chapter 5. If, if you're there in Mark, uh, Matthew comes right before Mark. Matthew, the fifth chapter. In, in Matthew ch chapter 5, and and I want you to notice over here in verse 21, Matthew 5, 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Now, what's he talking about there? Does anybody know? He's talking about the, the Old Testament law, talking about the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. And so he's, he said, you've heard that it was said, and that was right, they had heard that. He said, but I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, what, what's Jesus saying here? He's basically upping the ante on what the law said. He said, that you've heard it said, 
and it's talking about Moses and what he commanded and what the Ten Commandments say and the other commandments. He's basically saying, listen guys, it's more than that. It's more than just actually committing murder. It's about your heart. It's about what's happening inwardly. Now, in other words, you could, you could avoid doing the outward act of murder, but still be guilty in your heart because, of, uh, because that's what matters most to God. Now, I know he's not making it easier here. He's, he's basically making it harder so that they'll say, hands up, I, I, I give up, I quit, I need help, I need a Savior. Right? Because they realize they can't do it. Uh, but this is interesting. When, when he moves this to the heart, said, if you say to your brother, Raka. Now, you might not know what Raka means. I don't know what Raka means other than I looked it up. I mean, that's not, uh, that's not, that's not a word that we use in our vernacular, but um, it is something that basically means, you know, you're worthless. It's basically a, a current phrase or terminology in their day, like we have sayings that we use, uh, but it meant... Um, it's basically a disrespect and contempt for someone. This is what you're saying about them. And then he goes on to talk about a person being a fool. Uh, the word fool means dull or stupid. Um, it's, it comes from a Greek word moros, which we get the word moron from. All right, and so he's talking about just spewing out this these uh, basic hatred from the heart towards people. He said, "You're just as guilty." All right, that that that's just as uh, ju just as much as if someone actually committed an act of murder. Just a side note, it's a heart thing. Jesus used the word fool at different times in his own preaching, and here he says you can't say it, but then he said it himself. You have to understand the differences. It, it, one is it is a love motive, and it's a correct and accurate discernment and judgment. Whereas others are just trying to attack. They have this baseless anger and hatred uh, towards individuals. Um, but, th but this is, this is interesting. He goes on to say, verse 23, notice. Therefore, this is what I'm trying to get to. I just explained the context. If you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Notice the connection that Jesus is making between a person's relationship with God and their relationship with other people. How he said, not only in Mark 11, when you stand praying, forgive. You're going ready, getting ready to pray for something? Check your hearts. All right? When you go to worship, or in this case, to bring an offering, which is worship. You go to bring an offering. And there, you find out there's a problem between you and your brother, you and your sister. He said, fix that first. Well, why, Lord? What's the problem? I mean, we're good. They got issues, they got problems, but we're fine, we're good, I just want to worship you. Apparently, this is a big deal with him. Apparently, the Lord puts this in, in, a, in a very important place that we get along, that we fix problems amongst us. And if we don't, our offering mean, means nothing. Well, I'm just going to give the Lord a big, fat offering. Hold it. Keep it. Leave it there. Go fix the relationship first. Everybody okay? First get it fixed with your brother. Let me, let me read this verse to you, these verses. 1 John 3, 
13 through 15. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love God. Is that what it says? It's right on the screen there. You can see that you're supposed to respond to me when I do that and say, you're supposed to say, no, no, Pastor, you read that wrong. <laughs> we know we have passed from death to life because we love Jesus. No, because we love the brethren. That includes the sistren, too. We love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. He who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So he's basically saying similar things to what Jesus said in Matthew 5. It's not just about the outward. It's about what's in your heart towards people. And what, 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 what is one of the primary indicators of a person who's saved? They really know God. They have a relationship with God. It's not the only one, but this is one of them. It's the love of God. This should be one of the, the biggest characteristics of our lives individually. It should be one of the biggest characteristics of our church is that we love people. And when we have that in, in place, I'm not saying we shouldn't love God. I'm saying we should love, we should love people. We should love one another. When this is in place, we are setting ourselves up to succeed. We're setting ourselves up to have prayers answered. We're setting ourselves up to, for, for, for victory. And so, uh, even though, I know if, back in, in Matthew 5, Jesus didn't say there, if you have something against your brother. He said, if they have a problem with you, go to them and see if you can work that out. How many understand we can't always fix it with the other person? But he still says you got to try. Obviously, if I have something against another person, that's totally on me. I need to get that right. I need to get that cleaned up. I need to say, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to hold that anymore. Forgive me for not forgiving them. And I let them go and I forgive them. And, and I, I need to deal with that in my own life. But what if they have a problem with me? Say, well, that's their business. Apparently not. Apparently, it's not just their problem. The Lord wants me to do something to try to repair that and get that relationship right. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this. I've done this. I've, well, I, not lately, I don't think. But I remember, I remember quite a few years ago. So, uh, you know, I mean, quite a few years ago, uh, this person did me wrong. He was a friend. And he totally just did me wrong. <laughs> And he never said anything about it. And so we just went years and never talked to each other. Basically, in my, in my mind, I just thought, first of all, I thought all kinds of things <laughs> about him. But I thought, I, I, was, I was waiting. Isn't he going to say anything? Isn't he going to at least come and apologize to me? Isn't he going to do something to fix this? And it was totally him. He couldn't have seen it any other way. He just left me stranded, left me hanging in this situation. He told me one thing, did the opposite. And I was willing to forgive him. I was willing, I wanted to still be friends. But I thought, well, if he's not going to do anything, I guess that's on him. According to this verse, I should have went to him anyway, even though he was in fault. So what would you say? Well, I didn't need to apologize. I didn't do him wrong. But I would try to 
fix the relationship. Give them a place. Give them an opportunity. Let them know, I'm not going to hold this against you, but can we fix this? Give them an opportunity to ask me to forgive him. Amen. And so, uh, this just tells me, the Lord really does not like us to not get along. Huh? I mean, the devil, his biggest deal is division and strife and you know, gossip and talking and backbiting and everyone hurting one another and being hurt by someone else. I mean, I, I, we're not going to do this, but how, I think if we were to say, how many of us have been hurt by someone else's inconsiderate, selfish actions, we'd have a lot of testimonies. <laughs> it's not going to do us any good to tell those testimonies, by the way. <laughs> but we've all been done wrong, and probably we've all done a few people wrong ourselves, right? And, uh, and, and, and that's the devil, I mean, that is not the presence of God whatsoever. One of the greatest things going to be about heaven is you're never going to be mad at anybody again. No one's going to be upset with you ever again. We're just going to all put the others first. We're going to treat each other with such amazing love and respect and honor forever. And that's the atmosphere of heaven. It's supposed to be the atmosphere in the Christian life. Amen. We just treat each other that way. We just show love. And, uh, and sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult, depending on what they've done. But that's what we're supposed to do. And everything is tied to this. Everything is tied to this. Well, I haven't been getting much out of church lately. What's wrong with your relationships? What's wrong? What bitterness do you have in your heart? Say, so, do you know that for sure? I'm just guessing, but a high likelihood. Got something going on that's not supposed to be there. Probably related to the love of God. Look over with me at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians, the 11th chapter. Notice over here verse, uh, well, before, I, before we read, 1 Corinthians 11, the context of this is uh, communion or uh, the Lord's Supper. And he is telling them when you get together, basically Paul is writing to them, to the church at Corinth. There were a bunch of big fat babies. And they were carnal as the day is long. And they were selfish and a lot of things going on. That, that they, had, they were saved. They were forgiven, washed and cleaned and cleansed. But they had a lot of issues in their life and in their church. And when it came to communion, they had a lot of things going on. They'd come and gorge themselves. And one person would just be stuffing their mouth. Let's say their communion was more like a meal. And, uh, and other people would go hungry. And they weren't considerate of one another whatsoever. And so he's writing in response to that and saying, this is the way this works. This is how communion is supposed to happen. And, and, and I want to... Just read verse 29 and 30. He, he reads, he says here, for, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Okay, people are always asking the question, why do, why do people get sick? Why do some die young? Why do they die early? And some want to put it all off on God and say, well, it's just his con and under his control, and he decides who's, who lives and who dies, and, and that's not scriptural. 
It's not. In fact, this case, uh, Paul is answering the question. He said, this is the reason why some people, in fact, he said, why many people are sick and many die early. All right? And he, he uses this phrase, they don't discern the Lord's body. Now, that's interesting to me because he didn't just say discern the Lord's blood, didn't discern uh, the blood and body. We, we know this. If you know Scripture at all, and if you know redemption, as soon as you hear uh, the cup, the bread, you go to the blood and the body of Jesus, what do you think of? You think what you're supposed to think, Jesus on the cross. He's a sacrifice for us. His blood was spilled for the remission of our sins. His body was striped for our physical healing, right? All the curse was upon him. That's the automatic. If anyone's been taught redemption whatsoever, you know communion is redemption. It's all over that. But here Paul, basically what he does is he brings in a deeper truth to what is obvious. Obviously there's healing and forgiveness and everything in Jesus on the cross, and that's what we celebrate with communion, right? But he said, listen, there's something else to this. There's something else. You're not discerning the Lord's body. What's the context of him saying that? It's how, how they were treating one another. In other words, there's another type of discernment of the body, meaning this. We are the body of Christ. He's the head. We are the body. We are family. And if we, basically, if I could just wrap this up in a small container, if we are not walking in the love of God towards one another, we're going to have problems. Yeah. And it's not that God's doing it. God's not making people sick and he's not killing them. But, I mean, but he's saying, this is the reason. This is the reason. You, you, you don't have proper discernment, which, remember where that comes from? Proper discernment, Philippians 1, comes from love. When the love of God abounds in my heart, I discern properly. When it doesn't abound in my heart, it's all about me. I'm looking for personal gain, my benefit, everything I can gain from. But when I do have the love of God, I have proper discernment. Do you discern those around you today as being part of Christ's body? Do we know that when we treat one another in a, in a, in a right way, we're treating Jesus in the right way? Do we know that when we run someone else over or are inconsiderate or unaware of their life, their needs, their, you know, what's good for them, then we are unaware of Jesus. We are inconsiderate towards him. And this lack of, of body discernment becomes a real problem. And we say, well, let's just pray more. No, sometimes we don't need to pray more. Sometimes we need to let the love of God abound in our hearts towards one another. Do you see how everything's connected to this? I showed you how prayer and faith, they're directly tied to love and forgiveness. And I can see here that health and longevity, the healing of our bodies for today, and the length and span of our life is directly connected to the love of God. It's directly connected to proper discernment of the body of Christ. Amen. Man, I have more to say. And uh, <laughs> some of the rest of you are saying, speak for yourself there in the back. <laughs> We've got more weeks. But I, I, I don't want to rush past this. I, I, still, I told you I had three, and I'm not going to give you number three right now. Um, but I want to take a moment uh, in prayer. Let's just do business with God.
everything in our hearts starts in faith to him. You can make commitments to God, say, well, I've got problems with people and, and I haven't been doing this right. Well, you, can, you can't all of a sudden just fix that on a dime, but you can in your heart. You can fix it in here and say, Lord, I'm turning this over. I'm giving this up. I'm not going to do this. I'm making personal dedications to the Lord. And what happens with that? All of a sudden, our faith starts to work again. All of a sudden, our prayer life takes off. It'll take off in a moment, in a moment of time. Things will be fixed. Bodies will be healed at that very moment that you fix it. God will take these things on credit. He'll take your promise. We take them in His promise. He'll take your promise. 